Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you as we open up the last of our special 25th anniversary shows. And, uh, you know, not that the show's been around 25 years, but Boundless has. And so it's been such a fun month celebrating with you. As we always do, let me give you a little preview of what's coming up later in the show. For our inbox, we have a listener who's asking, do most people know if they want kids or not? Well, it's an important question. So counselor Jeremy Keaton will join us to offer some thoughts. And then for our culture segment, Peter Mutabazi has an incredible testimony of growing up on the streets of Kampala, Uganda, until God saved him, literally and figuratively, I guess, in many different ways. Well, he is now a single dad and an advocate for children in the foster care system. So you're going to want to listen in to his inspiring story, as well as how he finds purpose as a single man. And then for our roundtable, I do want to say this idea actually came to us from a listener who submitted it uh, via Instagram in our DMs. So we're grateful for that and just proof that, hey, we do answer your questions. And so, you know, put them out there and we will probably get to them at some point in the show. So really great idea for that. Uh, to that point, we are going to talk about ideas around idea. Okay, I like to say ideas and um, what else are we going to say here? Kind of like do's and don'ts, etiquette, whatever around setting up a wedding registry. So this is very interesting to me. Um, and I'm going to introduce here. We have got Kennedy, Megan and Bree here. Hey, y'all. Hello. Hello. Brie, this is your first time being on the show. It is. This I'm is excited. Very exciting. So, Brie, our uh, part of our team here at Boundless now in the content, in social, all of that. So, very fun. But um, this is a very fascinating conversation for me because I feel like now there are getting to be some weird trends and even offenses that kind of come about as a result of the way people do wedding registries. So I'm sincerely hopeful that one of you have done something super offensive so we can talk about it. (laughs) And people came back to you and they're like, I really appreciated being invited to your wedding, but your whole registry gift situation was horrific. So (laughs) I don't know, just be ready for it because you know I want to ask it. So let's talk about this. Uh, First of all, Kennedy and Megan, you guys are recent, you guys not married to each other, but you were each married within like the last year and year or year and a half, right? Yes. Okay. So relatively new. And Bree, how long have you been married? Seven years. Seven years now. Okay. So knowing that, let's go ahead and, and get your stories around. How did you even approach setting up a wedding registry? Was it pretty traditional? Like you had the expectation of what you should do. You knew exactly what stores you wanted to go to. You knew it was going to be, be a team effort or not. Um, how did that go down? Kennedy, why don't you start for us? Yeah, uh, we approached it very sporadically and confused <laughs> okay um because That's comforting. we you know we had no idea what we needed what we, or what we wanted really it was at this time in college when i was already kind of really getting into cooking and stuff and so i had a lot of the stuff that you might think to put on your wedding registry like oh. pots and pans and stuff oh and so when we looked at it we were just like oh okay i don't know do we want pillows we already have pillows you know <laughs> and eventually it really came down to us talking with Uh, our parents and other people who had already been married and being like, okay, well, what do you put on your registry? What do you wish you had when you were making your registry? Mm -hmm. Uh, And that really started to help us figure out, okay, 
do we want to do this? Do we not want that? Maybe we can get that later. Things okay. like that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I think I went about it without really much forethought. I just kind of ran into it and was excited to see what it was. Uh, but I do know one thing that Alex did to prepare us was that he created a group chat with a bunch of our married couple friends and just asked them, hey, what were the things that you regret? Which What things do you wish you had done that you did not do? Give us all the tips, all the pointers. Um, so that was very helpful. They gave us some very good advice regarding items that they wish they had you know, asked higher for because it ended up being worse for them to have to replace it themselves on their own budget and just gave us some really good insight on what to prioritize, what not to prioritize, releasing us of the guilt of asking for expensive Mm -hmm. items that Mm -hmm. I think Alex and I both dealt with. Um, They were just really encouraging that people will buy you expensive things. Like people Mm want to bless you. So like Mm -hmm. don't rob them of the chance to do that. So that's good. Well, it'll be fun to get, I want to circle back and get some of the actual down and dirty tips, but Brie, go ahead and give us your general assessment of how you did it. Yeah. Well, I'm very particular about everything. So (laughs) I, um, so I knew exactly what I wanted for a registry. We definitely did it on Amazon because they had an opportunity to link from other stores. Mm -hmm. And so even if I didn't want to purchase it from Amazon, I could get stuff like from Kohl's or Target or whatever and put it on that same registry. So that was helpful. But at the time, I was living at home with my parents and Trevor was living at home with his. And so what we did is we were preparing to create our registry is we walked through our parents' kitchens, because you're right, Kennedy, it is a lot of kitchen stuff. <laughs> um, but we walked through our parents' kitchens and we were like, okay, what are these uh, devices? What are these appliances that we regularly use? And making sure that we put those on our registry, because we were going into a house with absolutely nothing, mm-hmm. except for maybe a few furniture items. It was just really helpful to be like, oh, man, I love this toaster. It would be so nice if I could just get this exact toaster. And you know what? Amazon had it. So Mm -hmm. it's very, very good. Yeah. No, that's good. So let's talk a little bit about what you felt was really um, what was fun about the process. Like, did it seem it, it always reminds me of when I hear people who have built homes or whatever. And it's like, okay, for three days, like picking out stuff was really fun. And then it Mm. got super old. But how, you know, you see, because certainly in every rom-com, this scene seems to happen where they're running through stores with guns and having fun. And it's (laughs) like, it's like a snowball fight, but in a store or something like that. So what was surprising to you about it? What was really pleasant about it? What did you find was maybe unique about the experience that you hadn't expected? Because poor, I mean, Kennedy, he doesn't even know if he needs pillows. So I mean, clearly (laughs) some learnings had to be had there. But how did you guys experience the process itself? Well, I'll say that we didn't do the price gun thing. Okay, We actually did it entirely online. Oh, okay. Um, We used a website called Zola. That was one of those, you know, wedding website planner things. Um, And they had a registry section. You could get it from their store or you could import from like Amazon or Target. Mm. And so what we ended up doing is we actually looked more online because a lot of those websites will specifically have a section that is like, if you're getting married, consider putting these on your registry. Oh, nice. Okay. So we started scrolling through those and being like, oh, that's kind of cool. Add. That's kind of cool. Add. Then we go back. Actually, we don't really need that. <laughs> Delete. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had a lot of fun with that. I will say one of the bigger surprises was it was surprisingly difficult um, to get your address on there. 
mm-hmm. on, on some of these. Uh, particularly, I'm, I'm just going to name drop Target. <laughs> we had such a difficult time huh. with uh, getting the gifts from the registry, like making sure that they would come to the address that we wanted. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it was like, no, your person, they're going to have to go to a Target that's next to them mm-hmm. and pick it up. Mm-hmm. And we're like, we don't want people to have to do that. Unless, mm-hmm. like, they really want to. But I think most people would rather just do the one click and be done. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the whole, like, you didn't have a problem with your experience only being virtual? Like, I think some people would have a hard time, like, not touching and seeing the things that they're going to put in their home. Like, to just experience it online. But you found out stuff was kind of okay, like how it looked and whatever? Yeah. So, well, a lot of the stuff that we got on virtual were kind of things that you could you didn't really need to feel the texture oh, to okay. get. You know what a spatula um, looks like? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. But when I feel we, like I would still need to, but that's okay. That's just me. Yeah, well, when we came down to things that we did care more about the texture, like towels or pillows or bed sheets or something like that, um, what we actually ended up doing was we had a fund where people who didn't want to buy a very specific item on our registry, they could just throw in 10 bucks to that or something. Okay. Uh, and then after we got married, then we went around and we bought furniture with it and we bought items uh, that we actually wanted to be in person to see and we didn't want to take the risk that someone was going to get us something that we didn't actually want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's how we got to go to like Bed Bath & Beyond with that uh, fund that we had set up and, and actually look at the pillows and bed sheets and stuff. Yeah, okay. Nice. Well, yeah, and I think there's a big element of like reading reviews mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and also recognizing that with online registries, you have a really easy way to return things. Mm-hmm. So I think there's just a little bit more peace of mind of like, you're not stuck with this because you don't know where it came from or maybe they forgot the gift receipt, but having it all in one place, you're able to like get rid of it if you're like, I don't like this anymore. Yeah. Sure. You know, Alex and I did a, a bit of a mixture of both, but what we actually found was when we went around with a scan gun, I don't know quite what they're called, but when we went through that process, it actually proved almost more difficult because our target at the time, not to name drop again, but (laughs) um, was out of stock of a lot of the things that I had like maybe glanced online and wanted to look at in person, or I had seen things in other targets that I wanted to get, but it wasn't at that target. Their inventory was very scattered, you know, varied by location. So the perk of having it all virtual was that it didn't matter if it was in stock, if it was being sold, if it was, you know, for some reason missing from the shelf it's supposed to be on. Is like you can just search exactly what you need and you get all the options of what that is. Um, and I would agree once again with Brie that reviews were very nice. I had had a set of plates, like dinnerware set, that I was so excited about. And then I looked at the reviews a few weeks later and they were terrible. Everyone was like, these plates suck. They break, <laughs> they're chipped, they're awful. And so that came in so clutch because then I was able to find... A, a set with good reviews that I actually ended up liking more. But had I not looked at the reviews, I would have been blind. Okay. Yeah. So what, give your advice as far as just like the top either item or type of item that you would say absolutely everyone should put on their registry and or if they're going to be a gift buyer. So it's like they're going to someone's wedding. You will be the BFF forever if you get this. Kind of like, I mean, speaking of clutch, like what kind of is the the item or the category of item to show up in that you found to be the most useful or the most really stellar? For me, at least, I would say there are two that come to mind. The first of which is our vacuum. Mm. 
It's not something that you would think is super flashy, but that was one of the things that our friends had given us advice on before, is that a lot of them got cheap vacuums, and then they would break, and then they'd have to replace them, and it was this awful cycle. So we went big, and we got the really nice Dyson cordless, beautiful vacuum, and I just vacuum. <laughs> I vacuum. Speaking of the expensive, so much gift more givers. Yeah. than I ever would have wow. with an annoying corded one. Because I've always liked vacuuming, but the like hassle cord. of yeah. plugging mm-hmm. it in, unplugging it in, winding it up—like it's so much easier to just grab it. Oh, I have a little spill, and then put it back. Changes the game. Uh-huh. So that's the first one, and then also our pan set. We went mm-hmm. kind of big with our pans because we knew we would use them like daily for the most mm-hmm. part. So we got this really nice caraway set where it's all matching. It's pretty and aesthetic, mm. but also really nonstick and really high quality. It has these organizers that keep them all like upright and evenly <laughs> spaced. It's very nice. Um, yeah. And that we use every day and it's been great. So Okay, great. I think it really depends on the person because I think there's times where, I don't know, maybe like I don't think that I necessarily had a passion for baking prior mm-hmm. to marriage, but I do now because I love my KitchenAid mixer. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's this pretty icy blue color and mm-hmm. I just love it. And so that's definitely, I think um, one element of putting stuff on your registry is having a good healthy mix of like lower cost items and mm-hmm. higher cost items because ultimately people do want to bless you mm-hmm. for your wedding and for your marriage. And so I think that if you give that range, people have an opportunity to like maybe they maybe you have a grandma that really is like, hey, I want to get this two hundred dollar mixer for you, but you're like, hey, my twenty something year old friends who are also attending this wedding can't afford a two hundred dollar mixer, and so I think having a scale and just like to Kennedy's point, having like a fund that they mm-hmm. can put into, I think just gives people an opportunity to give the way that they want to give, and I think that's super crucial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah, so I would agree completely with them. I think the the things I've really I ended up loving a lot are the vacuum <laughs> and the frying pans. Yeah. Oh, okay. uh, and you just yeah. never, you like, I, I grew up thinking, well, frying pan's a frying pan. It cooks food, you know. But then I got a really nice frying pan. I'm like, no, this is amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, true. But uh, I think uh, something that you probably won't put on the registry, but you might have a fund for, would be like a, a nice mattress. Because mm-hmm. um, that is something that you will love mm-hmm. if, if you get a really nice mattress mm-hmm. and then you don't have to get a mattress for a really long time because <laughs> you got the really nice mattress. Uh-huh. Also, I, I would agree uh, the having both low and high priced items on there because uh, like she said, you're going to have your friends who are still in college and who are dealing with like student loans and stuff who want to get you something, but maybe they can only afford to get you that really cool ice cream scoop that you put on the yeah. registry. <laughs> yeah. uh, but then one of the things that, that my wife Olivia and I, we struggled with was putting those higher priced items on there mm-hmm. uh, because we felt bad about it. Because mm-hmm. we were like, I don't want people to think we're super flashy. You know, <laughs> I don't want people to think that that we're super... I don't know, I guess prudish when it comes to this kind of stuff mm-hmm. um, and that we can only use the fanciest stuff. But my parents, we, we talked to them and they're seriously just like, you know your grandparents are going to want to get you something really nice. Mm-hmm. So you might as well put a couple things on there. Yeah. yeah. And uh, one of the things I think a lot of people don't realize is that even if you don't get those things from your registry, a lot of the registry sites will give you like a coupon to get everything you did not get. Mm-hmm. So like... 
maybe you really wanted this thing and you put it on your registry and no one got it for you. Well, now you have a 50% off coupon. Mm. So you might as well put it on there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So let's talk about a a little bit, because I wanted to get into this, about what does, like, you know, we were talking about a fence and stuff. I mean, here's what does offend people, because I have actually heard this said before. I've been to enough weddings, and I've been in enough weddings to hear all of the, and let's just, you know, we're not going to totally okay boomer it, but there are some elements of this of just people who did it their way, and they're kind of like, why are all these youngsters doing it a different way? So things that can cause offense are... Um, people that do funds only. So like, we're not even going to ask for gifts. We're just going to ask for money or we're going to ask, we're going to do a gift card only registry or, you know, this applies to like showers too when people do that. And then you have those aunties or the women, whatever in your church or whatever, who are like, I want to actually give a gift. I don't want to just be giving money. Or, you know, a lot of people nowadays are doing like honeymoon funds Mm -hmm. or they're doing whatever. And they're like, I don't know if I want to give to that. And so it is like a tension of like, how do you balance like appropriateness of the way you're asking or the things you're asking for? And maybe to Megan's point, the um, higher end gifts kind of fall in that category as well, though I agree. It's like if you have options, like what's the big deal, you know, because there are the grandmas and and whatever who want to give something big or the parents, quite frankly. So those kind of offenses, I think, can get weird. But did you guys have any experience with that or have friends who kind of had to ride that wave or or do something like that? I don't know if I had any friends or siblings or myself have experiences with that specific to the registry. There were definitely experiences of that with the wedding in general. Mm. And what I'll say to that, which I think would apply to it coming up in the registry as well, is like just communicate with the people who would be able to better see other people's points of view. So, for example, I spoke with my mom a lot and had very candid conversations of like, this is something I don't value and I don't understand. Um, But I also can understand that an older generation will just have a different view of it. Mm -hmm. And so how can I meet you in the middle and how can you understand my point of view while I also understand yours? Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe if that's a problem that you're coming into, if it's someone that you're close enough to have that conversation with is to just do that and just be like, I just in no offensive way, this is my point of view on it and why Mm -hmm. I don't think it matters. And hopefully it goes well. But Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think that there's an element to where maybe this is a hot take as well of, and maybe this is for the people who are actually purchasing things for people's registries, Mm -hmm. is that the registry isn't about you as the purchaser. It isn't. It's about the people getting married. Mm -hmm. And so I think, and this, again, this is a hot take, stick to the registry. People Mm -hmm. go through a lot. We research the reviews. We talk to people. We know what we need and we are putting it on the registry. And yes, we are putting very specific things on there because those are the things that we know will work best for our family. And so I think if there's somebody out there who's like, oh, but I really want to get them a gift. Well, then do that, but also get them something from their registry. Or Mm -hmm. like if they are a gift card person or a fund, like do that get them what they actually asked for, and then do your thing on top of it. Like, I think I would feel really blessed that way if you did what I requested and gave me a little something extra. Mm -hmm. Okay. What's your advice to a young couple being gracious about the gifts that 
aren't on their registry and quite frankly are very next level in terms of someone made something homemade Mm. or someone's going to give you a crystal bowl that you know you will never use and they probably got it at a garage sale or something like that, you know, whatever, just in having those kind of conversations, especially when they're people you know and you see and are like, we're going to need to see that wall hanging in your (laughs) living room at some point. Yeah, so I would say that, I mean, ultimately... Um, I would still thank the people because ultimately they are still giving something up to you. Mm -hmm. Or at the very least, they took time out of their day to go get it for you, even if it wasn't what you asked for. I do agree very heavily (laughs) with Bree that when people make a registry, it is because those are the things they would like. Mm -hmm. And so if you are buying a gift, get a gift from the registry Mm -hmm. before you do that, or at least, like uh, Bree said, tack it on as a kind of a side thing yeah Mm -hmm. at the same time though if you are receiving that kind of gift i mean like i said they are giving it to you so it's still you know it's still an unexpected gift so i'd I'd still say thanks yeah Mm -hmm. that's good i actually have a funny story about that so one pair of alex's grandparents gave us our gift early in person which was very kind of them um And I open it up, and at first it's great. It's a really nice, high-quality brand, cast iron, like, pot. Mm -hmm. And then I open the box, and I see that it's it's just the shape of a pumpkin. It's a pumpkin (laughs) in its entirety. The handles are the little stems. (laughs) Like, it's just so bizarre. And we were like, thanks. Why the pumpkin? Like, what was the, the thought there? And so it's just very silly looking. But at the same time, it's really high quality. And I guess they must have just thought, oh, that's a fun one. They would love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so yeah. I would agree. In the just, fall, this is going to be amazing for them to yeah, use all the time. Pot. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the only time to break it out. But yeah, I would just front it with gratitude of mm-hmm. whether or not it makes sense in your head. Understand that it did in theirs in mm-hmm. that moment. Mm-hmm. And to them, it was something sweet. And to them... Even if you don't agree with their decision, them going outside of what you asked mm-hmm. was an intentional decision to do something that they thought you would enjoy just as much. Yeah. So I appreciate the pot and I think it's weird, but I, I understand the sentiment <laughs> of them wanting to get us something fun and cool that they saw that they thought we'd like. Yeah, so. that's cool. Yeah, I, I think people, I don't think people are intentionally giving you the gifts because they're like, huh. You're not going to like this. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. Let's give you something like, crazy. Like yeah. people are giving you gifts because they think that you will like it. Mm-hmm. And so even if it wasn't on your registry, you yeah. still have to approach it from they thought I would like this. Even if you didn't end up liking it, yeah. they thought I would like this. Yeah. And so that's the heart behind it. That's great. Cool. Well, you guys, these are such great thoughts. It kind of like just starts the conversation. There's so much more we could say. The only thing I'm going to add as a, like I said, the person who's always giving gifts at weddings is we have got to, regardless of your age or stage or how this is going down your wedding, you have got to still write thank you notes. I am just telling you all, there are too many people that don't do it. Um, I you need to even know if your gift was received. So can mm. you please just reach out with a thank you note? I know it's going to be laborious and horrifying and you're going to have to do it in front of movies for the next six months or whatever. <laughs> but just do it. I just got a thank you note the other day where I was only thanked for one of my gifts. So now oh, I have to do them. the weirdo like circle back. Like, did they even get the other one? Because it was a it was at the wedding that I dropped it off. So I'm like, oh, great. This got you didn't lost. Get an Amazon confirmation. No. 
Well, no. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, I mean, I did. I included it, the gift receipt in there because that's where I'd purchased it and stuff. But no, it was I, I brought it to them in person. And so now mm. I'm like, it's probably still sitting in the reception venue for all I know because they didn't get it. Anyway, so just thinking through that. And it's very comforting for people to know my gift was received. Thank you. Okay. You don't have to ask them about how their year went or go into all these personal details. Just say thanks. So yeah. you guys, thank you so much for weighing in. That's really fun. Yeah, thank you. Folks, we are here for another culture segment as we round out September for you. And you may remember, there are some of you that only listen to the show, which is problematic. I'm just going to say that right now. Um, You know, we have articles, we have a group blog and all that. There are some of you that only read our articles, although if you do, I don't know why you're listening today. So that's kind of weird. But anyway, all that to say, we have a lot going on here at Boundless. And my guest today actually was featured on Boundless with our own Suzanne Goslin interviewing him for one of our five question segments on the blog. And uh, so it is Peter Mutabazi who is here. Welcome, Peter, to The Boundless Show. Well, thank you for having me here. Really that was joy. like a weird, wasn't that a weird drawn out introduction? I was <laughs> like, <laughs> he's like, are you going to get to the point or what are you talking about? But um, it was a really fun piece that we were able to uh, feature you in about a year ago, I guess. And Suzanne did that. She said, well, I've I've heard about him. Have you heard of Foster Dad Flipper? And I was like, that sounds familiar, but what? Tell me more. And so she told me a little of your story. Well, you are actually here in our studios today. So we said, we need to catch up. We need to get more of the full picture, more of the story, and actually put you behind the mic. And so I'm very grateful that we're able to do this. Uh, folks, some of you who did read that piece know that he is the author of the book Now I Am Known, How a Street Kid Turned Foster Dad Found Acceptance and True Worth. And he has quite the story, some of it of which we're going to get today. We probably can't get into every bit of his story, but um, he is an entrepreneur. He's an international advocate for children and the founder of Now I Am Known, which really supplies resources uh, to equip and encourage children worldwide and so it's it's going to be fun for us to dig into this. And so many of in our audience, Peter, are like, you know, well, I want to make a difference. I want to have a purpose. I want to figure out what this looks like. And so I think the way that you have done this and not necessarily intending to be like, oh, I need to just do crazy big things, but just being faithful where you are, I think is going to be an, uh, an encouragement for, for folks. So, okay, so first off, we're going to set the stage here. You actually uh, grew up in Uganda. 
Correct. So home for you. But talk a little bit about what your childhood looked like, because I know that it was definitely rough in terms of relationally with family members. So give us a little bit of that background. Uh, yeah, so I, I was born in Uganda, in you know, in the world where it's 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 hard to explain to, to most of our listeners. But think about if you're born, but you didn't have a name, because for every a hundred children were born in your village, sixty would die for the the age of two. So most moms didn't name their kids, and that was me. That I didn't have a name until two, and my mom named me a gift given to me by God. You know, I grew up poor, where I had to have one meal every other day. We could not have beans and potatoes mm. because we couldn't afford it, and most of the food we had to grow it ourselves. You know, I had to go fetch water three to four miles away every day, twice. So think about it. You're five and you have to go three miles away and then back and do it twice. There's no time to be a child, you know. And then at the age of four, I began to realize that my father was different from other male that I had seen or, you know, seen uh, with my friends, that he was abusive in every shape, form you could imagine. So for me, I really didn't have a hope and I didn't want to see tomorrow because poverty was about to take me on one side but my own father was my worst enemy. So for me, I didn't want to see tomorrow. And then at the age of 10, I ran away and became a street. Not because I was looking for something better, but it was more of, I'd rather die, but die in the hands of a stranger. Mm-hmm. And that is the reason why I ran away and became a street kid at the age of 10. Yeah, and you ran away to the capital, correct? Correct, from Kabale. I had never been 20 miles away, and I went 500 kilometers away, oh and I goodness. ended up in Kampala and became a, a, a kid there. At the age of 10. So, yeah, I mean, that's it's really amazing. And to think how, I mean, surviving that, trip that struggle all of that living on the on the streets like you said um okay but things you know it's a wild story i mean easily you could have not made it you know i mean that very very concerning now was this do you feel like your situation was unique and that it, there weren't other kids that were like let's run away with you you just kind of your situation was that bad well it was that bad i wasn't also running away for a better life i think i wanted to die but I never wanted my father to see my dead body in some oh, way. Okay. I felt like I was yeah. punishing him like, hey, yep. you dislike me, so I will not give you the joy to bury me in some way. Wow. Um, you know, but once I arrived in Kampala, there were more than 3,000 streets kids. Mm-hmm. You know, so there were other kids who would run away from home and they were just surviving there. Yeah. Uh, so it was easy to find your fellow family uh, that, that were going through the same as you. Yeah, sure. Okay, so you're on the, on the streets and you actually met, uh, really you became, you kind of made a living by um, basically robbing people. <laughs> I mean, you just literally, you would pick targets. And yeah, tell tell us about that. Yeah, so as a street kids, we learned how to survive. Yeah. And surviving was, you're being abused. You know, the abuse was worse than at home, but these were strangers. So people abused you. So you found ways on how, yes, you get abused, but you find a way to find food. Mm-hmm. So for us, everyone who asked us to help, we found a way of finding food. So we'd steal food because no one gave us food. Mm-hmm. But also we're treated like stray animal. You know, I lived in the sewer where it smelled so bad that most people didn't go. Mm-hmm. You know, if someone wanted to give us food, they would throw it to the garbage rather than give it to us. Mm-hmm. So we had to run to the garbage to get it before the dogs got there. So, you know, that's how you smelled. That's how you looked. So you're treated more or less of a human being. That in some way you believed that that was true about you until 
I met a stranger. I had been on, on the streets for five years, you know, and I was trying to steal from someone. And this person said, you know, before I could take food that he'd bought, he said, hey, what's your name? I was like, wait a minute. You want to know my name? You know, because I had lived on the streets for five years and no one had ever asked me what my name was. So him asking me was a worry that he's going to harm me because for every kind person also followed with abuse. So because he asked what my name was, that was a sign of run for your life, mm-hmm. you know. But, I, he, you know, he gave me food and I stayed and he fed me for one year and a half. You know, he would come every, every once a week and he yeah. would give me something to eat in some way, began to give me a glimpse of, of hope. Not hope to be somebody, but hope that I would get food to someone who knows my name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's amazing that that, that was that, life for five years before and this guy's name was James right correct you met James now tell us a little bit I think it'll be really fun for our listeners to know who was James how the connection with him like who who he was with you know, so for for me, I got to know who he was. First of all, I was really bothered, you know, bothered by his kindness. Like, mm-hmm. you know, 99.9 <laughs> of the human people treat you bad. And you have this person that treats you nice. And you're like, why, why, why? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and later What's on, the I, catch? I, get, I got to find out like he, he was the head of Compassion Uganda. Huh. Uh, and that, then now it made sense like, oh, I see why he likes kids and, and cares for the least of these. And, and of course, he offered to take me to school and he became my sponsor by putting me in a boarding school. Hmm. That's really amazing. And I know you went, uh, you started out in school, you ended up doing school in the UK as well, right? Right. So I, I went to school, then he brought me to his family, and now he gave me a place to dream. You know, when you've never seen something, it's hard to dream of the impossible. Mm-hmm. But he showed me what a father ought to be. He showed me what family looks like. And now I began to really dream to be like him. Mm-hmm. So I finished high school, I went to university in Uganda, I went to university in England, and that's how I came to United States wow. through the kindness of a stranger, you yeah. know, who saw a street kid but saw the best in me that I didn't see in myself. Through James from Compassion International, who sponsored him. Okay, well, I would think that any young kid, any young student who sees this kind of turnaround and all of a sudden has a chance, has a hope, wants to forget everything they possibly can about their previous life and about all the people in it. Like you're going to be, you know, I would think that you would say, I never want to even think of my father again. I never want to think of my village again, of my home again. I just want to put all that behind me. But you didn't do that. You decided that there had to be some kind of bridge. There had to be something in your heart that happened with your family of origin. Tell us how that came about. You know, so it happened during the genocide in Rwanda. You know, uh, my job was to go rescue the children working for Compassion International. You know, and it's through that that I really realized that because I was angry for for people who had killed, you know, other people for, for just tribal difference. And I think I pointed a finger at them and said, how could you do this to others? But then I went back in my own heart. I said, but that's what I want to do to my father because I hated him, you know. Mm -hmm. But also my sponsor really helped me understand the life of Joseph, you know. Mm -hmm. Joseph on how he approached his life. You know, when his brothers found him, he said, you know, for what you meant for evil, God used it for good to save lives. And I made sure that I wanted to have that life. Of course, I'm not Joseph, but I wanted to embrace my life to know that, hey, it was ugly, it was abusive, I had the worst of all, but it should not determine what my future is, you know. By embracing it, it would help me be the best I can be because I know better, but also I didn't want my father to ruin my future in some way. I had to really approach him and say, Dad, 
you don't have to say sorry, but I want to forgive you for my own sake, mm. you know, mm. and accept you as any any other human being in a way that I wanted to be the example, the opposite of who he was. Mm-hmm. And so what, I mean, how was that received? Talk a little bit about his response or what that led to down the road. You know, I think he realized that he messed up. You know, <laughs> and there are some men who, they're not easy to say I'm sorry, mm-hmm. but I think his actions, you know, on, on how he treated my mom changed, mm-hmm. on how he saw me change, you know. And I remember one time he said, hey, you know, Peter, he calls my dad, my false parent, said, you know, your dad has taught me what a father ought to be, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, that's all I needed, that he mm-hmm. finally realized he is how dads treat their kids. Mm-hmm. He's how dads see potential in their kids. He's how dads support their kids no matter what. You know, that it took another man to truly teach him that. So in some way, yeah. you know, he truly helped. And you really had the chance to circle back around through what you learned about the love of God to really introduce that to your dad in that sense and recognize the the grace of God in a relationship that allowed you to build that and really be you know, model Christ to him, kind of from from your direction to his. Absolutely. You know, I think I really understand God's grace and mercy towards me, you know. So I looked at this way, to be given a million dollars, giving a hundred dollars to my dad, that's how I felt like. Mm. I have been forgiven this much. I have been blessed this much. Why would I not truly do the same to my father, you know, mm-hmm. for what God had done for me? You know, and that made, that was a little bit easier uh, because it wasn't from me. It was, you know, the God who had really given me the glimpse of hope mm-hmm. that I wanted to extend that to my entire family, not just my father, my entire family. I'm the oldest of five, but I wanted my siblings to see that, that there's hope, you know, when you believe and when God loves you, he will carry you through no matter what you go through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Okay, we'll talk a little bit about, because that could be, I mean, that in and of itself is a story. I mean, that's like, okay, here's my whole story. This is, now I'm just going to live this quiet life and just be a normal citizen and do normal things and have a job and whatever. But you keep meeting all these people who challenge you to new things. And one was a man that you found out was fostering kids. And all of a sudden you felt the conviction of like, Okay, what does this look like as far as becoming part of my story? Uh, Talk a little, I think you even say in the book, you say, you know, here he had a a foster son who looked more like me than him. (laughs) So what does this mean for my story? Exactly. I was like, wait, 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 what does this mean? You know, (laughs) but I think I had struggled when I came to the United States, I struggled with two things. I had never had enough food to eat. And seeing how much food was thrown away in the United States, I think that really made me question my faith, you know, from a point of, does God love us the same way? How can he love Americans that they have so much to throw away? But my village, they are dying for lack of beans, you know? But then he flipped the coin on the other side. You know, Luke 12, 48, too much is given, much is required. That I realized I had been given so much. I'm the kid who had no family. Now I have family. Mm-hmm. I had no hope. Now I have hope. Most educated human being, I realized that I am educated because of the kindness of someone. Mm-hmm. I've been in more than 100 countries. You know, a kid who <laughs> slept, slept under the sewer as a street kid. And to see all that, that I wanted to say, God, you've showed me and you've given me all this. But it ha- I had to be accountable one day. You know, the one day I think I felt too much is given, much is required. Like, I have to give back 
because I was the most wealthiest human being I felt, at least for me. Mm-hmm. And so for me, seeing what once I saw this pastor who had taken in a kid who didn't look like him, I said, wow, how does it happen? So once he explained Foscare, in some way the light, the light bulb went on like, boom, these are my people. These are the kids that walk the same journey as I walk. These are the moms who have been judged left and right for losing their kids. Like in some way, I felt he's a place I can make a difference because I had walked the same journey, you know, but I had never seen any black person who was a full, you know, who was adapting in Uganda or in Ethiopia. So I think I believe the lie, like you have to be white, you have to be married, you know, mm-hmm. in order to, 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 to adapt or foster. So I didn't pursue it until I came back after that trip that I walked in the foster and I said, hey, if I won't have time, would you allow me to mentor teenagers? Because I thought being single, they would not allow me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's when they said, hey, you can be. I mean, that day I signed up, you know, and four, four months later, I had my first placement because I knew I had so much to offer that I was challenged to make sure that it is accountable. The one day I get to see my Jesus, I say, you gave me a house, an extra bedroom, I use it for what you needed. Mm-hmm. You helped me understand my trauma that I hope I help someone who's going through the same is really what encouraged me to be a foster dad. Yeah. Well, and I think it's amazing because, like you said, you you saw your own resources, but you also broke the stereotypes of saying, it's okay. You know, a lot of our, our listeners, you guys, um, he allu- Peter alluded to it, he's a single guy. So it would have been easy for you to just say, oh, no, that's just for families. That's for married couples. That's for and but really, it's it's for people who love the Lord and have a home to open up. And so God provided those opportunities uh, for you. So you have done a fair amount of fostering, and you have adopted one son. And I think even one son, right? Correct. And as of today, I got a phone call that I can ad- I'm, I've been approved to adopt the other two siblings. You have? Okay. Yes. Okay. Because I know you tell some of this story and that's so great. Okay. So, I mean, and even his, uh, Anthony's story is so amazing in that he had been adopted and his own family turned back his adoption papers. And it was like, you felt that in your heart of like it being a revisit of your own story of feeling rejected and unknown in that sense. And so that was almost like a full circle moment for you. It's correct. You know, so for me, when he came to me, he was a respite. So, you know, and I wasn't ready. So once they called me, they say, hey, there's a kid who's 11. He's at the hospital. And I'm thinking, why at the hospital and not, you know, at 11? So once he came in, you know, as soon as he came and I said, you can call me Mr. Peter. And he looked at me and said, hey, but can I call you my dad? I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> You're living on Monday. It's a little you can't too call much, me yeah. dad, you know, yeah. because I had had Levin who had called me dad but left. So once they came to pick him up, that's when I asked why was he left, and I was told he came into Foscare at one and a half. He was adopted at four. The family that adopted him had dropped him at the hospital. They never said goodbye, mm-hmm. and they never told him why they didn't want him anymore. And I think hearing that story, it took me back as a ten little boy running away, and I'm like, I cannot let this kid not have a family. I cannot let this kid walk away. And that's really how I said, you know what? I'll take him. He already called me dad anyway, you know? So he's <laughs> yeah. my he's my adopted son. He kind of, uh, he made the decision for you. He just <laughs> decided. Well, and now it looks like adoption is going to happen for, for a couple more. So what a what an exciting thing for us to be able to celebrate with you. Right. But also, Lisa, for your listeners who are listening, we, we have moments where we ask God, hey, give me this. And it's right in front of you. And you're like, not mm-hmm. today. I don't think I'm ready now, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think for me, I had to step back and say, I've always wanted to be a dad. 
he's a kid who needs a dad. How do I say no, you know? Mm-hmm. Because in my mind, I thought, you know, if God wants, it would be someday, not today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I hope, uh, you know, to your listeners who are willing to do something, you know, to say, yes, this is the day. This is the day. It's God's timing, not yeah. my timing. Yeah. You know? Well, and I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that you, I mean, on Instagram, you're Foster Dad Flipper, and there, your story has gotten out. I mean, there's been, you mentioned traveling to 100 countries. You've You have had many people interested in how does this guy do this from that background, being, you know, being single, being from growing up in a different country, having been all over the place, you know, to, to have the courage to do that? I think it's a, a pretty amazing testimony. Have you had any unique or what has been a unique encounter that you've had with with anyone who's heard your story and what it's precipitated in them? You know, I think there's lots of, you know, you know, people who had lost hope in men, you know, mm-hmm. and seeing me kind of walk that journey, they're like, you know what, there's good people, you know, that I don't have to give up. Sure. Then also that I really wrote my book to show, hey, despite of our past, we can really be the best people to make a difference to people who are going through the same things we're going through now. That there are people who said, I never thought I could be a mom. I never thought I could be dad. But watching you, now I truly know I can do so. Mm-hmm. You know, we have you know women who have gone through you know domestic abuse and they kind of given up on that whole thing i'm like you know seeing me kind of use my past and turn around they're like wait a minute you know i don't have to give away or give up on what god called me to do despite of the challenges if you can do it I can do it as well, you know. So in some way, you know, most people get to see their own story in my story because I've been, you know, open to that. The other part, their parents. Like, I am really keen on bio parents of my kids. You know, yes, they have faulted. Yes, they have got in trouble and they have lost their kid. But it doesn't mean that's the last, you know, mm. that I get to come alongside and say, I believe in you. And you and I, we can work together to help you heal wherever you are so you can have your kids back. And seeing that faith come back to mom or dad to say if this man believes me and loves my kid I ought to make step to do so and so I've seen God use that to truly turn around the parents who you know uh, suffering with addiction you know mental uh, and, and domestic abuse as well turn around and say if you're willing to come alongside mm-hmm. I want I want that yeah that's great because you just never know someone's story and what's kind of made certain chains of events happen in their life and what you know uh, ultimately what God could do similar to even your relationship with your own father right. you know what he what he could do in that so pretty amazing all right. Well, folks, I want to make sure that you know, we talked about it at the beginning, but um, Peter wrote a book, Now I Am Known. And so you heard him mention that about this idea of like, what is your name and how God and and through James called him out uh, to identify him and to show that he has worth, he has belonging. His book, Now I Am Known, we want to make available to you here at The Boundless Show for a gift of any amount to Boundless. So as we often have you do, you can go to boundless.org, search for 817. That's this week's episode. And you'll see the book cover there. You just click on it, give a gift to Boundless of any amount, whatever you can afford. And we would love to send a copy of Peter's book to you. So super encouragement. I think for those of you who are listening and you're like, 
I'm just in my 20s. I probably can't do this. God doesn't really have a big purpose for me. You just never know. You have to trust him and you have to have hands that are open that are willing to just take one step. And I think Peter's story really illustrates that. So Peter, such a privilege for us to have you on this week's episode. Thanks for being here. And thank you for having me here. You know, it takes a village to raise a child and we can all do something. We are not all called to be foster parents, but we can all do one thing. And you're 20, yes, you know, can you take teen girls and teen girls and play a video game with them, you know? <laughs> and they need that mentor in their life to say, wow, there's someone outside my own family that cares for me that much. And, and I think we can all do that. Absolutely. Let's make it count. Let's make it worthwhile. Well, folks, we are finishing out the show by opening up our inbox. We have our own Jeremy Keaton here. Hey, Jeremy. Hey, good to be with you, Lisa. Super great to have you um, in charge of our counseling staff here at Focus on the Family. And so many of you know, you have actually availed yourself of the complimentary consultation that you can get from one of our counselors and the referrals that they have and the advice and resources. It's pretty amazing. So, well, we have a question for you today, Jeremy, from one of our listeners, and this is very much uh, in our wheelhouse here at Boundless, the types of things we talk about. Um, Our listener is asking, do most people just know if they want kids or not? What can you say to someone who's on the fence to help them decide either way? Yeah, I, I would pause just a second about the question, the comparison kind of nature of the question. How would the answer to that question really matter to you? Um, What are we really asking when we ask it that way? I wouldn't make it a matter of comparison um, if this is something you're personally on the fence about or you're contemplating. But I am glad, Lisa, this person is contemplating it. It shows self-reflection. It shows maturity. Um, Before going deeper, though, on the topic, I want to set the foundation with a, a clear and unwavering value that we have at Focus on the Family which we believe is really celebrated uh, with biblical support. And I'm just going to read one of our, what we call our pillar or foundational values here at our ministry. We believe children are a heritage from the Lord and a blessing from his hand. Parents are therefore accountable to him for raising, shaping, and preparing them for a life of service to his kingdom and to humanity. And then Malachi 2.15 says, Has not the Lord made them, husband and wife, one? In flesh and spirit they are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So it's it's in context of that that, that I want to talk a little more here. But contrast that. Listen to this, Lisa. Contrast that statement and that worldview with, with this one. There is a a well-known population bomb book. Paul Ehrlich was a biologist who wrote The Population Bomb in the late 60s. And uh, contrast his pessimistic warning about population problems and how he viewed humanity. He once said that 
a woman having multiple children is like, quote, throwing as much of their garbage into their neighbor's backyard as they would want to. So I'm, I'm drawing a stark contrast because Christians are called and informed by a biblical view of life. We should, as believers in, in the Bible and a biblical perspective about life, challenge and reject narratives like that of Paul Ehrlich and really embracing the formation of, of forming new families and creating new life. It's a, it's a posture, it's a narrative that the Christian faith in general is, um, is about as a worldview. Now, stop there. This being said, this does not mean that every person or every couple has the same individual circumstances or considerations and that there might not be very legitimate reasons to pause, to wait, to weigh the factors and consider when or if to have children in a very specific scenario, very specific story. I mean, there's health considerations, there's emotional considerations, trauma recovery, uh, difficult upbringings that maybe you're maturing through yourself. I mean, there's a lot of considerations. But in general, though, childlessness for simply extra freedoms or extra cars in the garage or an untethered suburban life, that's not exactly the picture that Scripture would seem to point uh, the meaning of marriage to. In other words, Taking your motives before the Lord before just willfully choosing to forego children as a married couple would be something you know we would encourage. Um, of course, I want to acknowledge here too: infertility does not devalue your marriage um, or other reasons that are again legitimate reasons. There's there's no specific command about this, but there is a view of life that the Scripture gives itself too, as I've said. So, you know, there are also fruitful callings other than having children that some couples may be called to for a kingdom purpose. Again, evaluating your motives is is so key. Uh, but the world's posture is what I'm trying to point out, contrasted to the, the biblical posture of openness to life. Um, no doubt it's not a light decision. It comes with roles to provide and things to weigh. But the difficulties associated with parenting is not a reason enough to choose childlessness. To the contrary, children also bring a joy, a fulfillment to life and to marriage. And parenting does cause us to live outside of ourselves in a way that uh, can be part of a, a spiritual journey of becoming more like Christ. I know in my own parenting, it has uh, been that kind of journey. Hmm. Oh, that's good. Yeah, great advice there and a good holistic approach to thinking about that and thinking of it from the posture of life is a great start. So thank you so much, Jeremy. Yeah, thanks for the time to share. All right. Well, folks, uh, that is it for this week's show. And remember, we're finishing out our 25th anniversary month, but we would love to remind you to follow us on Instagram or on Facebook so you can stay in our ecosystem of just being part of the community we have here, especially as we head into this next year and uh, all the things that we have coming up. It's really fun for you to be part of our community. So feel free to do that. In the meantime, I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org from Focus on the Family. God wants true disciples, ones that think like Him, talk like Him, 
walk like him, disciples that bring shalom to the chaos of this world. Pursue that path with the RVL Discipleship Series. Bible scholar Ray Vanderlaan will give you the tools to understand the Bible more deeply and inspire you to be a passionate follower of Christ. Watch the first episode at rvldiscipleship.com.